This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. I hope this is a a phrase that is familiar to, to most of you, especially if you've had anything to do with churches for any length of time. It is, of course, the voice of God, the voice of God about about Jesus as he emerges from the waters of the Jordan River after his baptism. It is a phrase that will be repeated on a mountaintop with the events of the Transfiguration, which we will hear about again at the end of the Epiphany season. Now, you might recognize this expression. I hope you do. But you might not realize that the voice from heaven is creatively quoting Scripture. Now, I don't know quite why, but I find this a bit funny, that the divine voice is quoting the Bible. I don't know why that, don't know why that strikes me as funny. I was going to try to explain it, but I just, for some reason, anyway. In any case, this quotation is a creative use of Scripture because the, 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 the quote is actually a combination of two different bits of Scripture with seemingly different meanings. The first part that goes, this is my son, is from Psalm 2.8. The whole verse is, let me announce the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son, this day have I begotten you. It is a a psalm by King David, or is at least in the voice of David, describing how God has set David upon his throne, choosing and anointing him to be king. God's son, in this instance, is a title, a title for a very human king, a very fallible king that we see in David, who will be a, a manifestation through his ruling of God's power and might over the kings of the world. And seen from this light, the events of the baptism are an inauguration. Jesus is anointed in the waters of the Jordan River to be a king and a manifestation of God's might over the kings of the earth and any other rebellious power. The title, Son of God, is a title of a king, not just used by the ancient Israelites, but by many different societies in the ancient world, including the Roman Empire. Which brings me to the the second part of the divine proclamation that Jesus hears as he emerges from the waters of baptism. God says, with whom I am well pleased. This portion comes from the passage we heard this morning from the prophet Isaiah. The whole verse goes, Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. The section we heard from Isaiah this morning describes a suffering servant who will bring about justice, who is to be a light to the nations, who will open the eyes of the blind and bring prisoners from their dungeons. This passage 
is the first of, of several in the book of Isaiah that describe a suffering servant who will bring about profound transformation through a path of self-giving love and obedience. And the authors of the New Testament and the church throughout the ages have seen Jesus in, when they turn to these descriptions of the suffering servant in Isaiah. And so you see, we have these, when these two passages are combined, we get this remarkable insight into the nature of Jesus' person and work. Here is God's chosen one, chosen to be king and to manifest God's power, and yet this is not a kingship that will display itself through, through military might or through coercion, but rather through service and through obedience. Now, if you are like me, then the, the notion of obedience makes you a wee bit uncomfortable because of the, of the connotations of the word. When we hear obedience, we think that we are being told what to do, and, and frankly, since I have a bit of a rebellious streak, I don't like being told what to do. When I think of obedience, I think of a time when I was, was very young and I was asked to clean my room. It was a mess, um, and if you've seen my office, then this will come as no surprise <laughs> to any of you. But I had, I had toys and clothes and books that were spread all over the floor, and my mother sent me in to clean this filthy, filthy room and my response to this was to take all of those things that were on the floor and to shove them under my bed. It took me about five minutes, and then I, I came out, and I told my mom that I was all done, and I ran off. And she went into my room, and then she called me back, and I was told that I was not done, though I wasn't told why I was not done. And so I went and I shoved that stuff even deeper under the bed in the hopes that she wouldn't see it this time, which of course she did, and so we went on like this for most of the afternoon, though eventually my room was cleaned. I learned obedience, I guess. Um, so I tend to think of obedience in this way, doing what I'm told. And I think we need to be skeptical of, of this, this sort of call to obedience. Because too often in the past, and and too often in the future, I'm sure, there have been powers and there will be powers that demand obedience to the detriment of justice and human flourishing. Too often, calls of obedience have, have been used as a means of control and for the oppression of the powerless by the powerful. But I would argue that this sort of obedience is not really Christian obedience. Rather, Christian obedience is a response to love with love. The root of the word obedience comes from the Latin to hear. And as such, to obey means to hear and to act upon what we have, what we have heard. And when Jesus is obedient, he is listening and responding to the one he calls Abba and Father, the one who is love. And in that listening, 
Jesus opens himself to God's love in service. This is not obedience to powers that look to dehumanize. Rather, this is a listening as a way of freedom and as a way of being fully human. True Christian obedience is an expression of love, therefore, a love of God and therefore a love of neighbor, but also a love of self, because it is in openness to God that our true joy and happiness is to be found. What begins with the inauguration of Jesus' baptism is a revelation of the power of God made manifest through the counterintuitive power of obedience, like I just described, and service. What we will see as we, as we walk with Jesus from the waters of baptism to the cross and beyond is the power of this openness to love. Rather than, than grasping and exercising power in the domineering ways of typical dictators, Jesus will consistently empower others. Jesus will be found among those in need, standing with the marginalized, rather than grasping power at the expense of others. And indeed, he will ultimately overturn all conventional understandings of power by purging it of violence to the point where he himself chose to be killed rather than to kill. We have entered the season of Epiphany, season that, that falls between Christmas and Lent. And Epiphany is a season for making manifest, for seeing, for revelation. Here at the, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, begun in the waters of baptism, and then throughout his life, Jesus becomes a revelation of God's nature and of God's will. Jesus becomes an epiphany himself, not only as a, a manifestation of Christ to humanity, but as a revelation into the nature of God. It's not just that Jesus is like God, but more so it's that God is like Jesus. And yet this, this dynamic between father and son is not a closed circle, but rather it opens up to include us in love. For the same spirit that descends upon Jesus in his own baptism descended upon us as well in our own baptisms. We too are included and invited into this dynamic of loving service, of obedience as listening to the, to the heartbeat of love that thumps and thumps and thumps through creation. We too are invited into a, a stance of service and listening, of discerning what God might be inviting us into in each and every moment of our lives. Ultimately, God's words to Jesus are also God's 
words to us as well. For we too are made children of God. We too are beloved. We too please God. And God calls us to hear and to listen and to be obedient to the call of love. Amen.